Welcome to the Raised with Jesus podcast, 10 minutes every day where the life of Jesus meets yours. In this episode, we have some audio from the Wells Lutheran Leadership Conference from uh, Chicago back in January. And in this episode, we have Pastor Jonathan Borman from Peace in Aiken, South Carolina, talking about connecting to your community. And one of the things that I really appreciated about this, this was toward the end of the, the last day of, of presentations like his, and he talks a little bit about conference guilt. And man, I mean, you just gotta, you just gotta listen to it for yourself. Here we go. Pastor Jonathan Borman, uh, Peace in Aiken, South Carolina, talking about connecting to your community. All right, thanks for hearing me. I got an hour. I'm going to try not to break your brains. My brain's getting a little bit broken. This is the fourth presentation. I got one more to go. So hopefully um, I can keep you kind of alive here in the afternoon. I'll try to take it a little bit slower in the first three quarters of the presentation. I'll give you a chance at that point to ask any questions, make any comments you might have at that point. Just help us take everything in. And then I'm going to come in in closing. I'm going to come at you with a prize fighter. Um, and give you just really fast like a staccato and give you 10 commandments for connecting to your community. So that's kind of how it's going to flow. And here's how I recommend you taking in this presentation. Uh, Martin Luther, he talked about when you listen to his sermon that sometimes when you're listening to the word, the Holy Spirit prompts you to think about something in your life. And he said that when the Holy Spirit prompts you, Uh, He called this the second sermon. He said you should pay attention to that and let the Holy Spirit preach to you on whatever he wants to preach to you on. He actually said stop paying attention to um, the sermon the pastor's giving and just pay attention to what the Spirit's talking to you about in your life. He called it the second sermon. Now, this I'm not preaching this isn't a sermon. It's just an analogy, you guys, okay? It's just an analogy. The point is, if I'm going along the presentation and you're prompted, you think about something that applies in your setting in your church, I think it's a good thing to write down and pay attention to it. It, it, It's probably something that's important for you. Does that make sense? So that's what those those, um, sheets are for, so you can record those things and and anything you really want to. What what I like to do before I do anything else, and please forgive me if I keep checking my watch, by the way. I'm just trying to get you guys out of here on time and make sure that I'm kind of on track with, with my presentation. I think it's important at conferences like this to, to take a deep breath and just back out of, of all of the best practices and all of the strategies. and, and all, How many of you have like a bazillion things you want to take home right now? Like, i got to do this, and i got to change myself and change my church, and it's great. Culture, know? culture. What's that? Culture, 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 culture and strategy for breakfast. We're, quote, we're all quoting Peter Drucker now. Um, and just take a deep breath and I want to set the stage spiritually with you and I just want to talk about God for a second (laughs) because God has been God from all eternity see I'm just letting that settle in your heart for a second before there was anything it was God and I used to, you know, you, you know, you have really stupid theological thoughts. I still do, by the way. I repent of them. That's why we have the word. But when I was a kid, I remember um, thinking about the fact that, wow, it must be boring to kind of be all by yourself in eternity, you know, just God. 
And I, that's because I, I was just figuring out who God was. How beautiful he is, how glorious he is, how perfect he is. And not just his essence, his divine essence, but the fact that there is a plurality in God. See, he's not just one, right? We, there's three persons in the Godhead. What am I saying? We can't, we can't talk about community unless we understand that God is community. The mutual interpenetration of the Godhead. The love. <laughs> the way the persons of the Trinity work together. God is community, and in eternity they were enjoying each other's company. <laughs> and what God has done in creating us is he has invited us into a relationship with him. He has created a community with us. <laughs> you think about, like, what are we going to be doing for all of eternity? Enjoying community. <laughs> Enjoying community with God. This is what God's son has done for us. He has totally reconciled us to God. We can go into his presence through the blood of Jesus into the most holy place. Come on, I'm doing Hebrews, y'all. <laughs> and be with him. That's what this is about. <clears throat> I say this because I, I really do believe that, that what stops us the most is not poor practices but it's poor spirituality. We can be just riven by guilt, and we don't even realize it sometimes. You can come to a conference and feel so much shame, you know, about, like, my church really stinks, you know? <laughs> There's all these awesome churches. What about mine? There's all these awesome pastors. What about me? That will kill us, you know, We'll go home, we won't get anything done for God. Maybe for ourselves, you know. Uh, there was a, a pastor, we'll call him a pastor, just so we can do the analogy a little bit better, named uh, Joshua. And he had this amazing project in front of him. God had called him to, to build, rebuild the temple <clears throat> in Jerusalem. And frankly, the guy was a failure. 17 years, God had called him to do it. 17 years, didn't get it done. Didn't build a temple. Didn't do it. Why not? Was it best practices? No, it wasn't. What was it? What was stopping this man from 17 years from leading his church powerfully to get that temple building project done? What stopped him? You know what it was? Look at Zechariah chapter 3. You have this vision of what was stopping Joshua from doing anything uh, for God. Then he showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord. What was stopping him? Satan was standing at his right side to accuse him. I've I, I become firmly convinced that there, there is no church that is more dead in the water than a church that feels its shame and its guilt. But there's no more church that leads more powerfully and with more energy than the church that knows the freedom of the forgiveness of sins of Jesus Christ our Lord. For 17 years, this man couldn't do a thing. 
He was in spiritual paralysis because of his gift. And then God gave his prophet a vision of Jesus Christ who said, remove his sins from him. I am going to put fine garments on him. And Zechariah goes to Joshua and says, this man is God's child. And he dresses him out in Christ's righteousness and in Christ's holiness. And guess what happened, you guys? The temple went up. That man built that temple for God. What did it? God gave him the gospel. So, <laughs> it's like, for a second, I was just trying to get a reset here for a second, like, get rid of conference guilt. That's not what this is. And move forward in the power of the Spirit, the power of the love of God that he has put into your heart from Jesus Christ our Lord. This is what's going to set you free in the ministry. All right. I'm just setting the groundwork there. Uh, I wanted to talk to you very briefly about God as community, uh, which I did, and I want to talk to you about God and community with you and just encourage you with the gospel for a minute. And now I, I want to get into your sheets there if you want to. We'll get a little bit more practical here. And I, I want to talk about you in community with your church. This is where we're headed. You can see this on your sheets as well. Uh, I want to talk about you in community with your community. This is a personal thing. How can you as a leader... Um, maybe as a pastor, get into your community a little bit more. And then I want to talk about how your church corporately can connect to your community. Um, finally, then, we'll have a little bit of time for questions, um, some comments. I'd love to receive them. And then I'll do Ten Commandments. I'll come at you like a prize fighter, and then we'll be done. So that's where we're headed. Uh, we're going to start with you in community, with your church. And the first thing I want to say is, uh, if, we're, if we want to connect with our community and we want people to come into the community of the church, isn't it true that the church has to be a great community that people want to be a part of? And I thought, this is what I'm talking about. Like, um, if people come to your church, it's cold, it's uninviting, blah, 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 they're not going to want to stay. How do we do this then? First point, lead powerfully. Here's what I mean by that. Before you do anything else, have community in the church yourself. Before you try to bring anybody into the community of your church, have community in your church yourself. And uh, I think uh, Christ is our Savior. He also shows us how to live a, a great life. He had 12 and he had three. He had a community. He had a church. He received the church. Created the church, too. But the church was a blessing to him as well. We need each other. Uh, how, how does this work out in my life? Well, there's people that I have on speed dial. I'm, I'm never alone, and it's a lie when I believe that I am. You know, Dustin's one way. I love calling Dustin, you know? There's people that I have on speed dial. Um, there's people that I meet with on a regular basis. There's every Thursday morning if I'm in town. I'm praying at 6 a.m. I'm praying with somebody over God's word and coffee. And we're sharing our fears and our hopes and our dreams. And I have a true Christian friend. And all, see, here's my point. I, I'm not trying to prescribe like how to, how to do this. I'm just saying receive community yourself. Lead powerfully in that way. Who can you connect to 
where you're confessing your sins, receiving the forgiveness of Jesus, praying with them, um, somebody you are ministering to, and you're receiving their ministry. I think this is incredibly important. Secondly, drip constantly. This is where we're talking a little bit about about culture. Um, And honestly, this is a little bit like Dr. Heal Thyself. I'm no master at this. These are things that I care about and I'm passionate about. I'm not saying I'm good at them, uh, but I do care about them. I think it's important for us to talk about community all the time. And that's what I mean by drip, like a leaky faucet. You're just talking about it all the time with people. So where can you do this? How can you do this? One, I recommend doing this with narratives. Stories are powerful. Tell the stories about how people are getting together for coffee. Tell stories about how, that's what I was telling you about how I get together with people. I'm just telling stories about how to live life. And they counsel people, and they let people know this is a real possibility. Tell stories about people finding friends and the importance of Christian friends. Tell stories. You can do this narratively. Do this. You can do this during the worship service. You can do this during preaching. You can do this during Bible studies, lay letter, pastor let. Um, lean into, lean into, for example, those stories in the Bible which confirm Christian community. For example, um, one of my favorite stories in the Bible is where Mary gets pregnant, and she has this incredible response. She said, "Her just think, you know, her life's just turned upside down. The Lord has has come into her life in a, in, a, in a way that, you know, so profound." And just turn everything upside down. She says magnificently, "May it be to me as you have said." And we're just like, "Oh, Mary, that is incredible faith, you know." And it really is. But she didn't sing her song yet. You ever notice that in Luke? She wasn't singing yet. Her heart was not on cloud nine about this yet. In fact, if you read Luke carefully, now this might be overreading Luke. Somebody tell me I'm wrong after this presentation. This might be overreading Luke. But it looks to me like Mary took off like a shot, like a bullet out of a gun. And where did she go? Elizabeth's house. And then what did God do in community with Elizabeth? Luke said, he's very careful about this, he says the Holy Spirit uh, inspired Elizabeth, and Elizabeth shared Mary's joy. And only then did Mary sing. Then she sang the Magnificat. Isn't it true that life is not yet perfectly good until you share it with somebody else? It's not. We can give you one more example of this. First John 1. John is going doxological, Christological. We've seen Christ. We've handled Christ, the real Christ. And then he comes up, and I think it's in verse 5, where he says, but my joy is not complete yet. What do you mean your joy is not complete? You've seen the risen Christ. What is going on, John? He says, it's not complete until I have you. I've got to have the church. Isn't that true? Talk about this. Preach about this. This Pastors, this is just a little bit of a side. Pastors, pick up Philemon. Come on. Pick up Philemon. You know, Philemon, everybody's like, Philemon, what? 
<laughs> there's no there's no doctrines of justification. There's no Trinitarian doctrines in there. Philemon, well, it's in the Bible, you guys. We should preach on it. <laughs> or Philemon. It's all about Christian community. You know? Human Christian community. We need each other. There you go. Here's my little rant for today. Preach on Philemon. <laughs> Drip on it. Create spaces strategically. Uh, I mean this in a number of ways. I mean this architecturally, first of all. <clears throat> I grew up in a church where the North in Minnesota church, Narthex, like this big, <laughs> so big old Luther church, you know, and so people come to church and then because there's no place to hang out, talk to each other, all this stuff, um, people just hit the exits. Um, I heard this quote, I don't know where I got it, somebody tell me where, but we create the architecture and then the architectural architecture creates us. So uh, there are simple solutions if you don't have a place where you can gather and hang out and stuff like that. I had, it was a cool, cool story. A guy came up to me after the first session I gave and, and he said, you know what we did at our church is we ripped out the last four pews. He said we didn't need them anymore. We ripped out the last four pews and this created space for them. It doesn't have to be this high cost, like massive building project. How can you create architectural space um, for for people to, to have community. Uh, secondly, uh, I mean this relationally. I mean this relationally. Like I said before, encouraging people to have friends and get together and organically create relationships is something that, that I really try to push at our church. One of the things that I do in our assimilation process when we have somebody who's joining our church is I do two things. We do a spiritual gifts inventory and try to plug them into it space in our church where they can serve well. But I also say to them, find a friend in our church. Put your head on a swivel and find a friend and go find somebody to pray with. So I encourage people to organically find relationships. And finally, I think it's a good thing for us as churches to do this programmatically. Uh, we create spaces at our church to where people... Uh, can come and just hang out. Like we had uh, the women in our church get. To, they've done this a number of times actually. They they get together and they just paint. There's a there's a art uh, community community art center in Aiken that's just down down the street from our church. And like 30 women, they just go paint together, and they have the best time. And they just connect together. Um, we had a we had a guy. He just said, you know what? Uh, I want to go out to dinner with people. So we said, great. We'll help you. Um, have a men's dinner night. So now, like, 20 guys, you know, every every month they'll pick a restaurant naked and then they'll they'll go and and uh, hang out together. They're just creating relationships. So I think finding ways to programmatically help people plug into relationship um, can be incredibly helpful. Uh, I do I do want to do this. Is just a little bit of an aside. Um, <laughs> Tell the organizers of the conference not to invite me because I'm dumping on this philosophy. In. But I think that I I think that this is going to become increasingly important that in our churches that we create what I like to think of as a counter community. Do not be naive to the fact that for every sermon that we preach in our churches, people are watching five sermons on Netflix, and they are all counter narratives to the narratives in the Bible. The world is incredibly good at catechizing people. And we cannot be naive to that. 
So I think it's going to be more and more as as the culture becomes increasingly hostile. The the Lutheran Church of yesteryear, where the majority majority Christian culture was Christian, you come to church and you can support the narratives and, and the faith, the doctrines that we have in the church, just by showing up on Sunday. I think that world is fast dying if it's not already dead. What we need to do is create more touches with God's word, not just on Sunday, but probably through the week, so that our people are being catechized and they're hearing the stories and the doctrines of God's word just as much as they're being catechized by the world. Does that make sense? It's a little bit of an aside, but I do think it's really important. I think small groups are something that we have to have in our churches going forward during the week some kind of small group, and that's not necessarily in-home, but some kind of small group ministry. There it, there, there it is, you didn't come for that. But <laughs> I do think it's important, and it's a part of creating communities within your church that support faith. Um, with that, I'm moving on to my next section, you and community with your community. This is just you personally as a lay leader, pastor. This is just you personally. Uh, this is my city. <laughs> I love my city in South Carolina. Beautiful, beautiful place. Second most historic city in all of South Carolina. Second only to Charleston. Beautiful place to be. And uh, they were very proud of this. We won an award for the South's uh, Best Small Town back in 2018. And um, I'm, I'm telling you this because I'm hoping that you're thinking about your community and what makes it special. So I'm going to wax a little bit about Aiken, and you think about what what is it about your community that's special that that people really care about? Maybe it's something actually that you hate about your community that is interesting to take notice of here. Um, so I want to get you just thinking about your communities and what makes them special, what makes them different. Um, sometimes you can find it on that information on something as simple as like a logo. Like for example, this is our city's our city's logo here. It actually tells you a lot about Aiken. If you look at it real carefully, it tells you, first of all, that we really care about recreation in Aiken. Um, this is why people retire in the sunny south. You know, we have 290, be jealous, we have 290 days of sunshine a year. And so you can golf year-round. We're first in golf. Look at the license plates. We have the second oldest <laughs> golf course in the United States in Aiken. And just across the river is where the Masters play. The Masters is played, just about 12 miles away from our church. And so we really care about golf. This is very distinctive about our community. People move to Aiken just to play golf. I'm serious, you guys. <laughs> um, we, we're serious about nuclear. Y'all send us $5 billion a year. Did you know that? $5 billion. <laughs> Comes to Aiken County. Thank you very much for your tax money. <laughs> Uh, something called the bodies, they call it the bomb plant. This is where we deal, a lot of the nuclear refuse is um, disposed of in Aiken and also, um, depending on politics, um, w when we create more nuclear weapons, guess what, they're happening in my backyard. That's where we build them, in Aiken, South Carolina. So there's a lot of scientists, a lot of nuclear people, a lot of engineers who live in my city. Uh, also, there's a thriving equestrian community. We'll probably be sending people to Tokyo coming up. I can't wait for the Olympics. I love the Olympics. <laughs> Isn't that this summer? Yeah. And uh, we have a thriving equestrian community. Just about every discipline of 
of equestrian pursuits you can find in Aiken back in the 1920s. Um, in all of the, remember the Roaring Twenties? Um, you can read about it. But New Yorkers, with all of their money, would come as far south as they could. They could not get to Florida yet because the railroads didn't get there. Where the line ended was my city. So these people came and they played in England with their horses. We are now known internationally for our equestrian community uh, in Aiken. So these are, maybe you're thinking this is what makes my community very distinctive. Um, your community is different. Um, things that, that you plug into will be different. But that's my community. And so this is how I've approached it in my community. I'll just tell you, um, it, it became very, very important to me. We planted the church uh, five years ago. And we, our story is maybe a little bit unique. We, we parachuted in, and there, there really weren't any other wells. People, the church consisted of my wife and daughter, not just the three of us. And so it was very important for us to, to connect to our community and to not be an outsider. It would have been very, I remember, I remember very early, I went and visited people like Aiken Chamber of Commerce kind of stuff, and I, I go and talk to people and say, yeah, I'm here to play in a church. And, and they kind of look at you like, why? You know, you moved from Wisconsin? Like, what? That's not how this works. 15 miles just across the border is where the Southern Baptist Convention was started. What are you Lutherans doing here? You know, go back, Yankee. <laughs> so you see what I'm saying? Like, there's tension there. Make no mistake about it. It, it became very important for me to, so that people there knew that I was South Carolina. I, I'm not from Wisconsin. I'm from Aiken. I'm from South Carolina. This is a church of South Carolinians for South Carolinians. And I did. I, I worked very hard at this, including doing things like posting these types of things um, on social media. So here's here's some of the things that 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 I did. First of all, um, I just went one by one. <laughs> just went one by one. Yeah. Um, maybe this is refreshing, or maybe this is terrifying to you. It's probably a little bit of both, to be good. There's no silver bullet. There isn't. If you think you can just roll, you know, if you got something to roll out where you're just, you're just going to reach people for Jesus in mass, like, tell me, you get up here, I'm going to sit down, you know. There is no silver bullet. It takes hard work. And so it's just one by one. And part of that's just appreciating that. Like, when somebody joins your church or tries your church out, like, wow, that is, that's amazing. It's really amazing. It's one by one, and there's no silver bullet. I, I remember my, I met Brooks at Gold's Gym, you know? I'm just signing up for a gym membership. Talked to the guy, told him I was starting a church. Turned into a relationship. I met another lady at Rotary Club. Just showed up, started talking to her. Met another lady at my insurance company. Just started talking to her. Uh, it's one by one, and there's no silver bullet, and it always surprises you. Um, who it is that you end up witnessing to and, and, and connecting to. This is where I'm going to remind you of a promise from God that we have in Ephesians chapter 2, that God has good works planned in advance for us to do. 
Isn't that amazing promise from God? He just places them like <laughs> he parachutes them down right in front of you, and you're like, whoa, God, did that just happen? Yes, it did, my son. <laughs> it just happened. <laughs> and you connect to people. So there is no silver bullet. God does move. He does have good works for us to do. And it is one by one. Secondly, exegete yourself as much as you exegete your community. Now, I'll always be one to tell you that you do have to do the hard thing in ministry often. You have to do things that you're not comfortable with, uh, as much as I hate telling you that. But um, you also can do things that you're good at and that you're comfortable with um, to meet people. Like, for example, I, I love to run. I've always been a runner. I love to bike. I've been a biker for a long time. So I just I join the running club, and I go running with people. I join the biking club, and I go biking with people. And, and I can connect to people like that. And this, this might be something for you to think about. Like, what, what am I passionate about? What do I like to do? If you're a hunter, go join the hunter club. You know, go talk to people. Um, join a book club. Those are great places to have conversations. Those, so go where your passions are. This is a good idea. Uh, as a place, look to those places a place where you can connect and then finally, be an anthropologist we can be so adaptive to our circumstances that we don't even see our community for what it is <clears throat> can I tell you an allegory? here's an allegory this is maybe a little bit too literary for you, <laughs> for some people but I'm going to do it anyway, see if you like um, there's a story about two fish um, who are swimming together in the water and the one fish says to the other fish, how's the water today? And the one fish says to the other fish, what water are you talking about? See, you can be in a city and not even really recognize it anymore. You just adapt to it. And you, you, you fail to notice what it is it's right there around you. Because you have your habits. <laughs> How many times have you driven home? I, and you're like, did I kill somebody on the way home? Because I don't remember anybody. I don't remember stopping at any lights. I just know that I went from here to See what I mean? Like, you're just a dad. Nobody else? That's just me? No. You're on autopilot, you know? And so it does help to think about, like, what am I missing? What am I not seeing? Um, I love to talk to out people who are outside of Aiken who come to visit Aiken. And I love pumping them with questions. What do you notice? What do you see? Because probably about five years ago, I stopped really seeing Aiken for what it is. People who come to Aiken will be like, whoa, that's different. Or what's going on there? Um, outsiders can be incredibly helpful to help you notice your community or even your church. So be an anthropologist. Now, here's where I want to move into this uh, just, just a little bit and, and talk about why I think this is important. By being an anthropologist in your community and studying your community and what's really going on there, it gives you a chance to find the centers in your community. Every community has centers. They have artistic centers, political centers, power centers, community centers, geographic centers. There are all kinds of different centers that you can have in your community. And Thinking about what those centers might be is, is a really helpful strategy to help you know where you can go. So what did Paul do? You know, Paul was this anthropologist. He's looking around at all, this, this, all these different idols 
that the Greeks have. And then he shows up in the Areopagus, which would have been a center, a learning center, a wisdom center, and he, there he preaches a very famous sermon. So he found a center. Now, for us, this meant that we went to the geographic, political, historical, I could keep going on with different describers for that, of our city. And when we built our building, uh, we put it right in the center of Aiken, in downtown Aiken, because we wanted to be in the center. We believe that our theology is central to all of human life, and we wanted to embody that for our community. Now, that, that may not be possible in your situation, but if, if you can think about finding the centers, um, that's really, I think, important. While you're there in those centers, discover the networks. Everybody's networked together somehow. It's important to understand how people are knit together uh, in their communities. So in Aiken, there are retirees who are their own little sub-community in Aiken. You've probably got this going on in your community, too. There's your community in general, but then in your community, there are all kinds of little sub-communities. So in Aiken, we have a community of retirees, Yankees who have come down from the north. Is that offensive? Whatever, it's fine. <laughs> and they come down, and that's their own little subculture. It's their own little community. And in Aiken, we have an equestrian community. Those equestrians? I got to tell you, are there any equestrians in here? No? They are their own people, y'all. <laughs> they are. Equestrians are their own people. They have their own culture. They have their own ways of doing things. They have their own ways of thinking. Equestrians are very, they're very unique people. <laughs> the Native Aikenites are their own kind of people. That's another sub-community in Aiken. You have retirees. And, and again, we, we, could, we could talk about more. So discovering the networks. What are yours? You know, what are yours? What are the sub-communities in your community? Discover what those networks are. And then once you do, work them. Work those communities. <laughs> Two little anecdotes. Judy was, uh, <coughs> I told you I met her at Rotary Club. God just dropped her into my lap. Which is a good reminder that there's nothing great about me. There's only things that are great about God. <laughs> God moves Judy into my life. Judy's an equestrian. She's the only equestrian we had. So I'm looking at this and I'm going, you know, nobody's reaching equestrians. Oh, by the way, equestrians are hard to reach. Very affluent people. I'm telling you. They're very comfortable. Very. You have to have a lot of money to have a horse. <laughs> I don't know if you know that or not. I mean, buckets of money. It's a luxury animal. <laughs> And Judy, Judy was an equestrian, and is an equestrian. I wanted to reach equestrians. And I took Judy out for coffee, and I said, Judy, how can we reach equestrians? And we talked for an hour, and we didn't come up with anything. <laughs> <laughs> but what happened was, the Lord used that to to place an evangelistic zeal in a Judy's heart. And she started inviting equestrians to church. And now about a third of our church is equestrians. So 
That story has a lot of meanings to it. Here's the point. We're just, this is just some guy bumbling around trying to see that this, this woman's connected to a whole bunch of people that a bunch of dominoes could fall and seeing what I could do about it, and then God used it. One more story. Uh, when I first got to Aiken, I had a chance to uh, interview a bunch of people in the community, and one of the people that I interviewed was a, was a big head honcho uh, Baptist pastor. And it was interesting talking to him. He was very forthright with me about a lot of things, but uh, I'll never forget one of the comments he made to me. <laughs> um, I asked him the question, who, who's not getting reached with the gospel uh, here in Aiken? Um, and he said to me, those retirees in Woodside, they're all going to hell. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm sitting like, whoa, that was, I, I don't, he's being a little bombastic, I think, but uh, the point was he had just uncovered for me a whole community of thousands of people who were not being reached by any churches in Aiken. And pinpointing that in the life of our church was important because now we could start targeting through our efforts strategically people who live in Woodside and working those networks of those retired people. So what are the networks in your community? Um, those are some of ours, and I encourage you to start having those conversations about how you can, how you can work them. Uh, here we are, your church in, in your community. I think I'm keeping y'all uh, on track. Uh, we got one more section that I'm going to cover, then I'm going to take a brief interlude um, for questions or comments, and uh, then I'm going to come at you like a prize fire with time commands. So that's where we're at. Here we go. <laughs> your church in your community. Not community. Now we're talking um, corporate strategy together um, as a church. Um, and this is where I'm going to step aside, because in the write-up, I didn't do that write-up for this workshop, but it did talk say that this guy, this Yahoo, is going to talk about contextualization, so I figured I'd better talk about contextualization. <laughs> so I'm going to do that very briefly. Contextualization is the idea that you speak to the people in a certain context using concepts and words um, and even images that um, connect the gospel, the word of God, to the people um, in that community or or in that culture. And this, this has massive applications. Uh, I just want to give you one, what it meant for us in Aiken. I already told you that we wanted to reach retirees in Aiken. And one of the things that we knew about the retirees who were coming from Aiken, they're coming, most of them were coming from the Northeast, some from Ohio, but most of them from like New York, New Jersey, and stuff like that. And they, these are people who... Um, have they've been in a certain sense living and I use this term very loosely and I use this term in a secular sense blessed lives uh, they're coming down and they are building their dream home and they are coming to live their dream retirement and they're going to set the sun in Aiken that's what they're doing and so they're coming and they're going to build their half million dollar house on the low end so how do you reach people like that? We looked at it and we said, <clears throat> where do these people go? And one of the things we, know, we knew about this retirement community is that they come to Aiken for its downtown. They want to be connected culturally to this downtown. And so 
That's where we built our church. We planted our church in downtown Aiken because we wanted a shot at these people coming through our doors. Now, did we, did we know it was going to work? No, but we did it, and God has blessed it. And so that's how we um, have contextualized our church um, in a certain sense. Now, I, I will say this. And this is, I'm just going to do a little bit of theology for those of you who care about this terminology. <laughs> Maybe you don't. Just bear with me, or tune out and then tune in in just a second. <laughs> so, um, contextualization has has a lot of, as a term, has a lot of um, baggage to it. Sometimes it can have a connotation of giving up some of, you know, the clarity of God's word um, to the culture. Um, I don't use a term like that, and for that reason, um, I think there might be a better term for us. Um, as Lutherans, and that term is textualization. That's how I like to think of what I do um, in Aiken in, in, in my ministry there. I, I think that the term contextualization can be very human-centered, very anthropocentric, and I think what we're trying to do actually is very theocentric or very God-centered. And so what I'm trying to do is take people who are far from God way out here I'm not going to give up any of God's word. I'm going to bring it all, and I'm going to take these people from over here as gently, as clearly, with all the wisdom in my body and my brain and my spirit that I got, and I'm going to bring them into God's word. And so that's what I like to think of what we do in Aiken as, as actually textualization. Um, two resources for you if this is something that you're interested in, that you're passionate about. Um, if you really care about um, an approach to culture, um, we care about it a lot at Peace. Um, you can go to peaceinaken.com slash sermons. And there's a, if you, if you scroll down on the website a little bit, there's a sermon that I preached called Cultural Sensitivity. Um, and in that sermon, I laid out for the church um, what I think is a, is a solid theology of an approach to culture. If you're interested in that, that, that I, I point you to that. And the other thing is, I, I want to make myself available to you if you have any questions or, or comments, call me, talk to me after this. Um, I'd love to have a dialogue. You're my brothers and my sisters, and I'd love to learn from you too. I certainly don't have it all figured out. So resources, those are the resources I would say to you on the conference. Um, here's my last little part, and then we're gonna take a break um, with, with some questions and comments. I, I recommend in your church being the most you, whatever that is. If you're good at children's ministry, do children's ministry. If you're good at women's ministry, do women's ministry. Um, look at your church. The Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit has given gifts to your church. Use them. <laughs> um, you know what, what one of the most moving scenes is um, in um, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe to me? There's a lot of moving scenes in there. One of the most moving scenes in, in, in the line, the witch in the wardrobe. And <laughs> think about this. Uh, Father Christmas comes. And he starts handing out gifts. <clears throat> Anybody know what I'm talking about? He starts handing out gifts to bow and arrow to Susan. Lucy gets the, the ointment. You know what I'm talking about? Go watch it. There's a great clip on YouTube of this. And he's handing out these gifts. And of course, this is the Holy Spirit. This is what the Holy Spirit, he gives gifts to his church. Use them. All right. Good enough? <laughs> Find them in the church. God is so good to us. 
Uh, work your networks. Work your networks. I already talked about that. I'm not going to go on that anymore. Join Momentum. We're a small church. And so we have to pile on to community events. Now, some of you are from big churches. If you're from big churches, you can have your own magnetism and your own inertia. And that is awesome. Have a festival. You're big enough to impact the entire community just because you're from a big church. But I'm from a small church. And that means I need to pile on to community, to festivals in our community so that there's crowds there that I can interact with. So join Momentum. And then finally, um, and I I'm, I'm apologize, I'm moving through this fast so I can get to everything. Love the least. And, you know, do it, do it for its own sake. Do it, do it because it's the right thing to do. Just, just love people corporately with your church, however that looks in your community. Um, James taught us that, that this is what true religion is, to love the orphan and the widow. Do that in your community. Love the least. This connects you to your community. There are some, I, how legitimate or not, you can decide, but there are critiques of the Lutheran church that, that we pay too much, not, not you can't do too much, just be charitable with you guys, this is my fourth one. <laughs> but, um, we, can, we can so focus on the second article of the creed that we love so much and, and is in our hearts, that Christ has redeemed us, that we forget that God, the Father, loves to take care of people's bodies, which is the first article of the creed. Social ministry does matter. And we are called to it in the scriptures. All right, I'm done with that. I'm going to stop and let you ask any questions or make any comments you might have. Everybody's like, yeah. Yeah. Expand on your examples of what you do in Haiti as far as your networks and the giftedness of your congregation. Where is it taking you? Or what's still kind of potential that you see is the trade of the blossom? Man, that's a great question. I think I'm really interested. That's a good question. I'm just trying to answer it well. I think I'm really interested in watching for evangelists right now in our church as a spiritual gift. Um, there, there's one guy. He, um, he's been coming to our church for a long time. And uh, he's, he's, he's an evangelist. He, uh, he's one of those guys, like, I mean, he'll bring Jesus to the the cashier you know like watching for those kind of gifts I think I'm, I'm interested in that right now I don't know you got any ideas I'm just wondering in your experience you, you talked about the question network that's developed and opened up what else have you seen in your congregation community that you've seen open up in your church with the network uh, on the, yeah, thanks. I, I, I think I only have one answer to that right now. I'm, I'm still in this. We're only five. We're just a little baby church, so I'm still learning. But one thing that we are doing strategically right now is we are launching small groups right now around the city. I do expect that, and I'm doing that very strategically. I'm, I'm, looking, I'm, put, I'm putting the small groups in certain communities 
with certain people, um, expecting that um, there will be some kind of splash from that. Anything else? Okay. Coming at you like a prize fighter. Here we go. Ten commandments. How much time I got? Ten minutes. Here we go. Sixty seconds a slide. <laughs> Clean up social media. Ah, one of my uh, my ch past uh, church president. I was really proud of him. Really, real political animal. Really cares about politics. God bless him. As long as he was president of our church, though, never posted online about it. Praise God for it. Vociferous, um, you know, is South Carolina were the first ones who rebelled from the union, you guys. I mean, that's part of our culture in South Carolina. And, uh, but he, he respected, see what I'm saying? Um, social media matters. Um, we, are, we are public things. Uh, we need to be watching what we're putting out there. Uh, secondly, be done with the poor websites. Yeah. The president He's never posted about politics. Never. He quit. Yeah. Because he knew. Yeah. Yeah, he knew that there might be Democrats coming to the church. Yeah. <laughs> Why are you guys laughing? I just missed the word politics when you said it. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, that's a great that's a great question. Yeah, really divisive thing these days. Uh, be done with poor websites. Um, I love you guys, but there are a lot of bad websites in the wilds. Let's be committed to not do that anymore. <laughs> Budget for it. Um, get a graphic designer for it. Do it right. It's the front door of your church. Uh, everything, remember, everything that you, this is where I'm broadening it out a little bit. Everything you do is messaging and messaging is everything that you do. Message exactly what you mean to message. If, if we believe that we have the gospel of Jesus Christ and we value that, then we need to show our community in all of our messaging that, that we have something that we care deeply about, which means that we need to cut the grass and we need to keep up the building and it needs to be beautiful. Uh, so, because otherwise we're having dissonance in the messaging that we're sending out to the community. So um, be intentional about what you message. I'm not saying that we're good at it. We do try. Um, this is a, just a screenshot from, a, from our website. And what we did is, if you, you can go to it and watch it, it's, it's simply a video of what it would be like for you to come to our church. It, um, the videographer takes you from going into the building, to our welcome center, to our sanctuary, to experiencing a worship service. Because we, before anybody steps foot in our building, we want people to be able to envision what it's going to be like so that perhaps they're less scared to come and they know what the experience is going to be like. So for us, it's, it's an embodiment of an invitation um, simply by video. Less is more. Less is more. I'm not a guy who believes in frenetic ministry. But I do believe in quality ministry. Less is more. Um, I, don't go out, go out of here with like 10 things you want to do. Pick like one or two and think about that. Um, if you're a bigger church, you can do a lot more. 
and praise God for that. If you're a smaller church like mine with very limited resources, less is more. Take care of yourself. This is a long, long battle, you guys. We're waiting for Jesus to come back. He could come back at any time. Thank you, Lord. <laughs> Please do. But we have to take care of ourselves in the meantime. And sometimes that means we need to stop and praise His holy name. <laughs> We've been given a commandment for that, haven't we? He says, you can take a break because I am God and I made everything. And he also, this is what's so interesting about the third commandment, is God gives us two different reasons for taking a break. One is, he gives us a creational reason. I made everything. He also gives us a redemptive reason. I saved everything. He says, I'm the God who brought you up out of Israel. So we have two great reasons, a creational reason and a recreational reason to take a break. That's my beautiful wife, my best friend. We're hanging out on a mountain in South Carolina. <laughs> and uh, this is, I recommend this for everybody. Step back and because you're going to take hits, we all do, and um, just praise God in your heart. And I think that's what allows us to be relentless. You know, the Christian life is, uh, it's one of resurrection. And, uh, one of the things I think about is we're all practicing for that right now. Every day we rise from the dead again. <laughs> right? We go to bed and we're like, dang it, I'm such a sinner. <laughs> and we get up the next morning and we rise from the dead. <laughs> and we do it in Jesus' name. I've always wanted the devil to, uh, when I get up in the morning, say, really? He's up at it again? Here I come. Here I come, Satan. I'm coming at it again. We face so many losses, don't we? It's got to be like Rocky. We just rise from the dead again. Punch him. Get back up. Punch him. Get back up. <laughs> there was a, my next door neighbor started coming to the church uh, a couple years ago. And uh, we started to have some spiritual conversations. He started to share some things with me. I was really excited about it. I was like, wow, God's going to use this, this relationship, this next door neighbor. He's going to join my church and share Jesus with him. Well, he's comes in a, he comes into to peace. We call it Peace 101. It's our Bible information course. And I'm teaching him and I'm teaching everything that's going well until we get to cre- the doctrine of creation. And then everything fell apart. And now my next door neighbor kind of hates my guts and thinks I'm crazy. I lost that one. I got up again the next day. I look at that one every day when I'm driving home. I'm like, well, I lost that one. But sometimes you win when you're relentless too. Remember when we first launched the church? I got like three minutes. <laughs> we first launched the church. It was, it was sort of a devastating thing because this beautiful family of five, you know, you have all these questions when you launch a church. Like, is it, are we going to be here next year? I don't know. You know, is it, is anybody, is it, what's going to happen? This whole house of cards, is, is there going to be a church? And, and this beautiful family comes to the first church. They're all excited about the church. They're like, we're going to join your church, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, wow, you're over the moon as a church planner. And then later that week, I get an email. It's like this long. <laughs> Pastors love it when they get emails like this long. <laughs> and uh, they, this, this woman had gone to the Wells website and researched our doctrines and stuff, and she said, you are from the pit of hell. You are, 
a heretic. You are a horrible person. I hope that uh, your church crashes and burns. Wow. I emailed her back. I said, I said to this woman, thank you. Thank you so much for coming on Sunday. We're going to keep doing what we're doing, sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ with the community. We'd love for you to come back sometime. Well, four years later, she did. <coughs> and she came through the classes, and uh, she and her family are now members of our church. This has happened more than once at our church. We call them boomerangs. <laughs> they come... Something's not quite right. We don't see them for a long time. And uh, then they come back. It turns out the gospel of Jesus Christ is what they really need and what they find uh, in the church. Be relentless. Ask God to give you wisdom. He's promised to do that. He's a good father. Ask him to do that. Deeply love your church. It's my friend Pat. He used to be a cranky old nuke atheist. <laughs> His wife joined our church. He came uh, when she joined and uh, he's coming out of church. He goes, Jonathan, <laughs> I'm never going to believe in Jesus. I'm an atheist. I said, okay, Pat, just keep coming. We'll see. <laughs> uh, he kept coming uh, every so often and uh, one time I just decided I'm going to be bold. And I said, you know, Pat, you said you're not going to believe. Why don't you just take the class? Just see, you know? Why don't you just see, Pat? Well, he took the class. And he got baptized. The gospel's powerful. I deeply love your church. I love Pat. He's a, he keeps me in line today. Deeply love your city. <laughs> That's us when we moved to South Carolina. Deeply love your city. Quick story. Woo! Went to San Antonio for our 10-year anniversary of being in the ministry. Got in a taxi, had, had a nice, great chat with, with another lost pastor. And then he said, where are you from? I said, Aiken, South Carolina. He said, no, where are you from? Aiken, South Carolina. And I thought about that. Like, why did he think that the Midwest was my home? Because it's not. I'm from Aiken. Wherever God has called you, plant yourself and bloom. <laughs> I always think it's so comforting, you know. God is not up in heaven going, whoops, I think I put him in the wrong place. You know? <laughs> he has exactly where he wants you to be. And you can take comfort in that. He doesn't make mistakes. Last one. Trust the Lord with all your heart. Now we're doing the Proverbs. He wants to use you. You go around inside with something inside you that is a priceless treasure. Ah, Lord be with you guys. Thanks for coming.